Lord Jesus, what this morning reminds us of is that no matter what kinds of death we may face in our lives, there's always a resurrection. But we doubt that, so we pray that you'd use your word to us this morning to help us have faith and confidence that in you all things are made new. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. One Sunday morning, a friend of mine was getting her kids ready for church, and her husband wasn't there. He was at work, so she was alone. And, and when she went to let the dog into the house, the dog came up and had a dead squirrel in its mouth. So she didn't know if squirrels carried diseases or not, but she thought that they might, so she backed away. But the dog was really proud of his trophy and wanted to give it to her, and so the dog just moved forward, and she backed away again, and the dog just moved forward, and pretty soon she was running around her backyard, screaming at the top of her lungs, drop it, I said drop it, and the dog just kept chasing her, and she was screaming, she did this for ten minutes. Finally, she ducked into the house, all sweaty, left the dog outside, grabbed the kids, and was headed off to church, and there was a knock at the door. So she opened up the door, and all spread across her porch was a pack of policemen. In fact, there was one in the bushes with his gun drawn. Four neighbors had called the cops. They'd heard her screaming. So she had to explain that it was a squirrel that her dog had, and... The cops just kind of stared at her in silence for a moment, and then one of them clicked on his shoulder radio and said, "Uh, Yeah, headquarters, we got a squirrel here. (laughs) And whatever fear she felt was instantly converted to embarrassment. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a good picture of my life. Me running from things that I'm afraid of, even if I'm not sure they can hurt me. They just look bad, and so I run away. And I know that I'm not alone. Most of us fear something at some point. And in a lot of ways, I think that's what the tomb of Jesus represents, our deepest fears. In fact, our four deepest fears. When those women came to that tomb that first Easter morning, what would they have been expecting to find? Well, to start with, they could have expected death. It was a tomb, after all. They could have expected to see suffering, Jesus' bloody and bruised corpse would have been a reminder of how painful crucifixion was, as anyone who's seen the movie The Passion now knows. They could have expected to see failure. Exactly one week earlier, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Everyone wanted to make him king. The fact that his body was now in the tomb meant that those hopes had failed and that his followers had failed him, running away when he most needed them. And finally, they could have expected to see shame, Crucifixion was the most shameful punishment the Romans devised, reserved only for the worst of criminals. Death, suffering, failure, and shame. Four of our biggest fears. Certainly we fear death. We don't talk about it much, but nobody thinks it sounds particularly fun. And we certainly fear suffering. We spend a lot of time trying to avoid it, either through addictions or entertainment or getting a bigger house or more money to insulate us from discomfort. You can even see it in our advertising. There's a, Maybe you've seen this. There's a particular brand of Kleenex that has ointment in it so that when you use it, you don't get a chapped nose. I mean, really? Don't you think that's going too far? I mean, we are so afraid of suffering that we have produced anointed Kleenex. 
What I really hate, though, is every time I see that commercial, I find myself thinking, you know, my nose is a little chapped. I could use some of that there, Kleenex. We fear discomfort. We certainly fear failure. We're afraid to fail in our careers, our relationships. We're afraid to fail God. And as a result, we often won't try anything unless we're absolutely sure we can succeed, which tends to narrow our options. And shame is a huge problem for us. I'm convinced that embarrassment is an underrated emotion. Love and anger get all the press, but shame really controls us. We live in terror that our deepest secrets will be discovered, and we invent all kinds of masks to hide our secrets from the world. Spend a lot of time trying to be successful, rack up more accomplishments in hopes that then people won't see what we're hiding, they'll just look at our success. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm the man behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz, frantically trying to make myself look more impressive than I really am. I am the great and powerful Scott. Ignore the man behind the curtain. Terrified that someone someday is going to discover that in reality I'm really just a little man from Kansas. Or Richland, in my case. Death, suffering, failure, shame are four biggest fears. Four of the things that keep us from living life with courage and boldness because we're so afraid of what might happen to us. The tomb represents all of those things. But here's the good news of Easter. When those women went to that tomb on that first Easter morning, what did they find in it? Nothing. Death wasn't there. Suffering wasn't there. Shame wasn't there. Failure wasn't there. That was a very powerful nothing that was in that tomb. Easter morning took care of all four of those things. They are defeated. Not that they don't still exist. They do. But what the empty tomb shows is that they do not have the last word. They do not have any power over us anymore because God can turn those things to our good. In God's Easter economy, death doesn't defeat Jesus. Jesus defeats death by rising from it. Which means if we know him, we too will rise from the dead like him. In God's resurrection economy, Jesus' suffering comforts our suffering because now we know that God himself understands everything that we've gone through because he's gone through the worst of it. And at Easter, Jesus takes what looked like shame and failure and turns it into victory. There's a painting that depicts a game of chess, and the title of the painting is called Checkmate. But one day, a famous uh, chess player was studying the painting, and he said, wait, it's not quite true. The title is wrong. It's not Checkmate. The king has one more move. And what the empty tomb shows us is that no matter how much we feel like failures, no matter how ashamed we may feel, no matter how dead a situation looks, our king always has one more move. Now, some of you may be saying right now, well, it sounds good, but I don't believe a word of it. I doubt it really happened. And more importantly, I doubt that there's anything God can do with my tomb, my broken marriage, my stalled career, my health problem, my family dysfunctions, God can't raise new life out of those things. Well, he did, and he can. You know, there are a lot of reasons to believe that Jesus really was raised from the dead. For instance, why would Jews, the most monotheistic people on the planet, make up a story about God coming in human form? Not likely they would. 
Why were the disciples willing to die for insisting that Jesus was raised from the dead? Folks will die for a lot of things, but not something they know to be a lie. They must have been convinced. And if it's just a made-up story, then why were women the first witnesses of the resurrection? In a culture where women were considered pathological liars, their testimony was not admissible in court. In such a culture, if you were making this story up, a woman wouldn't be your first witness. Some guy would have been there. Those are some good reasons to believe. But the real way that we know that Jesus is raised from the dead is to give him our shame, our failure, our sin, and see if he can't bring those things to new life as well. In other words, the only way we're going to know if he's real is if we try him out. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, there's this really kind of an astonishing moment where the the disciples are gathered together and Jesus, who's been raised from the dead, is there. And and it, it says that when they saw the risen Jesus, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Huh? They're staring at a man who's just been raised from the dead and they doubted? I mean, what, do you, what more do you need? I mean, we're always saying, if I ever saw a miracle, I'd surely believe. Apparently not. Because here they were staring at the mother of all miracles and they doubted. Apparently something more is needed to believe. What's needed is a personal experience of Jesus. And that's what he gives them. He goes on and he says to them, okay, you doubters, here's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. That is, to get rid of their doubts, he asks them to do something that they can't do, that seems impossible, unless he's real, and unless he comes through for them. Jesus doesn't get rid of their doubts so that he can give them a mission. He gives them a mission so that they can get rid of their doubts. We become convinced of the power of Jesus only when we try him out. Only when we give him something that seems impossible and then see what he does with it. Jesus is a very empirical guy. He invites us to test him. I have a colleague who's part of a pastor's group that I belong to in Seattle. and He never knew his biological parents. He was raised by foster parents in the inner city. And as a result of all of this, after he got married, he and his wife were in a lot of pain and And so to comfort their pain, they ended up using drugs fairly heavily. In fact, their drug habit got so bad at one point that their youngest daughter was taken away from them by the state. Well, that was sort of a wake-up call to him, so he got himself into rehab. And while he was in rehab, he discovered who Jesus was through a friend. So he decided to test him out, and he said, Okay, Jesus, if you're so real, let's see what you can do with this mess of a life that I've got. Well, eventually he was able to get off drugs and and then he and his wife spent a couple of years trying to get their daughter back, which eventually they did. But here's where the story gets a little weird. One week after they got their daughter back, he gets a phone call from an adoption agency who tells him that his birth mother is looking for him. Would he like to meet her? So he says, sure. And they get together and, and that experience gets him curious about his father. And so he tracks down his father and meets his father. And and then his father says, I'd like to meet your mother. So after 30 years, they get together and his father apologizes to his mother for abandoning her when she was pregnant. And they get back together and they end up getting married. Yeah. If I didn't know this guy, I wouldn't believe it. I'd go, yeah, right, sure. But I know him and it's true. Two generations of family dysfunction healed. So out of this, my colleague ended up being a little convinced that Jesus was real. Go figure. 
I mean, you know, I suppose it's not a miracle with a capital M, but it's not ordinary either. So out of that, he decided that he was going to start an organization that would work with dads in the inner city to help them be better fathers and better husbands. That's Easter. There's a lot of death in that story. Death of two families, a lot of suffering, failure everywhere, a ton of shame. But in the end, Jesus was stronger. And not only did he heal my friend and his family, but he's using him now to heal a whole lot of families in, the, in King County. The good news of Easter is that terrible things can and do happen to us, but they do not have the last word. God will force them to work for good. God always has one more move. That's what the Apostle Paul means when he says, whatever I've lost seems like rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus. He's so much better. And whatever I've lost, there's always been a resurrection. Jesus has always replaced it with something better. To live is to know him. To die is gain because then I just get to go be with Jesus. In other words, we have nothing to fear because we have nothing to lose. The tomb is empty. There's nothing in it. Our fears have been conquered. And whatever loss we may endure will be followed by a resurrection. Oh, it may take some time, but it will happen. What's in your tomb this morning that is holding you captive? What fears are stifling you? What pain is crippling you? Give Jesus a try. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all. Maybe you don't believe a word I've said today. That's fine. I just invite you to do this one simple thing. Just ask him to show himself to you. And give him something hard and painful in your life and see what he can do with it. If you want to find out how to do that, there will be people after the service waiting to talk to you. But for those of us who do know Jesus, maybe this Easter is the time to take the next step of faith with him. Maybe to trust him with a, a failing marriage or a health crisis or a career problem. Trust that if we do what he tells us to do, he'll bring good out of it. Or maybe it means taking a risk to serve him in some way by, by serving the poor, or caring for someone who's hurting, or simply talking about him with others. Whatever it is, let's take the next step of faith. We have nothing to lose. A little over 30 years ago, Janis Joplin belted out one of the greatest lines in all of rock and roll history. Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. I love that line. I think it's very profound. Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. And that's what Easter gives us. Nothing to lose, which means we have nothing to fear. Because you see, what do we have to lose from job promotions or job demotions? Who cares? Jesus can give us what we need. What do we have to lose from things we feel shame over? If we know Jesus, we are children of God. He thinks we're great. Who cares what someone thinks of us? What do we have to lose from suffering if Jesus is there to comfort us and somehow use it for good? What do we have to lose even in failure? God is never in checkmate. He always has one last move. He always beats the devil. What do we have to lose by stepping out in faith to serve Jesus? What do we have to lose by talking to others about Christ? Who cares what people think? Just a few more weary days and then we'll all go to be with Him. There is no failure that cannot be made victory. There is no sorrow that cannot be made joy. There is no suffering that can't be comforted. Not even death can stop us because the grave can't hold us if we know Jesus. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. And free is what Jesus leaves us because the tomb is empty. There's nothing in there that can scare us anymore. So whatever it is in your tomb this Easter, give Jesus a try. After all, 
What do you have to lose? Lord Jesus, you have redeemed everything. Which means we don't have to fear anything. Lord, you have taken what breaks us and you have made it into praise. And we know that we have nothing to lose and everything to gain by following you. Lord, in our doubts and in our fear and in our disbelief, help us to believe and follow you. And we'll be grateful people. In your name, amen.